Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hits. I'm sure many of you watched the documentary that was on RTE and it was called Women of Honour and it was in relation to women who had worked in the Defence Forces and had been sexually harassed, abused, uh, the misogynistic culture that existed uh, within the Defence Forces and probably still does to some degree. Well, I read an article this morning, very interesting article by Declan Power, Security and Defence Analyst. And let me just read you a little bit of it before I talk to Declan. It says, The recent Women of Honour documentary by Katie Hannon has again highlighted an issue many thought had been dealt with, the abuse of women within the Defence Forces. The documentary was disturbing and brought a visceral reaction from me, not least because I had served with two of the, the women whose stories of abuse were actually featured quite prominently in the documentary. And he joins me on the air. Good afternoon to you, Declan. Good afternoon, how are you? Uh, shocking documentary, um, a real eye-opener for people who had no idea what was going on. I think we would be all aware there was a male-dominated, it was a male-dominated, uh, obviously, industry, so to speak, or certainly a male culture, um, but nothing to the degree that we heard, uh, you know, when we heard the commentaries from those women and, and, and them talking about what they went through, and two of them actually, you knew yourself. I mean, a lot of people kind of dismissed it initially, I suppose, as women in a, in a lad's culture, and maybe they should man up a little bit. But that's not exactly what happened at all, sure it's not. No, it's not. And you put your finger on a lot of uh, interesting uh, elements that kind of help contextualise and explain this, Niall. You see... Um Let's get a few parameters in place. Look, abuse is unacceptable in any walk of life. Uh, And and, uh, on the worst end of the spectrum, there have been cases of of assault uh, and and I think uh, rape. Certainly there have been investigations uh, within the Defence Forces. Now, they tended to be more... Retro, you know, from you know in the period twenty years ago, and I remember like, some of your listeners may remember uh, he was on the uh, RT News uh, last uh, the other night. Tom Conan, Doctor Tom Conan, former army officer, former colleague of mine. I sat uh, uh, opposite a desk from Tom in defence headquarters for a period, and I remember chatting about his PhD research that he was doing at the time. About well, the, the research was about women in the military per se, you know, on an international basis, and a segment was about mm-hmm. Irish. Uh, women and he was talking about some of the, and, and I didn't agree completely with some of his points. This is about how women should be integrated or within to uh, military life. But uh, he, when he was talking about the abuse related stuff and said this is pretty serious, this is kind of big, this is going to have to be dealt with. I was a little bit shocked and maybe he thought he was, you know, did he really, you know, was there some stuff being exaggerated? But what went on to happen, Tom got a PhD from Dublin City University. Now, they don't dole those things out like lucky bags. And it was based on on his research. And it it led to a Ferrari and a a public row between Tom and the Defence Forces that at the time was quite ugly. But on a positive note, what came out of that were new regulations, new procedures. And I really thought that 20 years ago that had been settled. Now, the Women of Honour documentary shows us uh, that perhaps the worst excesses have been dealt with, but that that there's still a cultural issue within the forces. And you use the term misogynistic. And I'm not sure is it misogynistic, but you see that this is the the challenge. Uh, A military formation, whether it's the Irish, British, US, Australian, French, there is the whole concept of creating the warrior mentality. 
And there are some purists who would say, well, you know, women are incompatible with that. Now, I don't subscribe to that. I might have done 20, 30 years ago. Like, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I've been, I've, like most Irish men, I suppose, and I'm 52 now, I've been on a bit of a journey in, in terms of how I view these things. And largely that journey has been informed by, I suppose you can relate to this maybe now yourself, uh, when you work with people, whether they're black or white, old or young, women or, or men, you, 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 you kind of develop a camaraderie, a collegial relationship. Yeah. And you know, you and know, you you know the lines you can't step over. You, you, different people have different lines and you get used to people and you get used to working with a group Precisely. of people. Yeah. Precisely. And I think the crux of it is, whether it's in military life or civilian life, but this is crucial for military life, is that when you're serving with somebody in a unit, they become your comrade. And you've got their back and they've got your back. And if you're in a superior ranked position, then it becomes more important that you look out for them and their welfare and that they can come to you with any issues and they don't feel uncomfortable. Even if way, that, that was part of it that, that was found quite disturbing. And I can't remember the, the lady's name, but she was given her account of what happened and she had been sexually assaulted. And the very officer that sexually assaulted her was the one who was investigating it. And he, she, he was the one she had to sit beside the next day in the mess or whatever it happened to be. Exactly, and, exactly. And, that whole idea of them investigating themselves, essentially. Well, the, in, in, in fairness, I don't think he was in, he was investigating per se. Now, in, in a military uh, community, you have military police, and you have a, you have what's called a special investigation branch. Uh, so they would be investigating. And in fairness to them, they're a bit like IAD. You know, the people would have seen internal affairs and police units. They're um, they don't go easy on soldiers. Uh, they're they're a separate entity. But as part of the, I think it was before an investigation that there was a, a disciplinary process within the unit that's overseen by the commanding officer. And as part of that process, the officer that was uh, being accused got to cross-examine the accuser. That's right. And that, that doesn't happen in civil law anymore. It, no. it may have done it. Sounds like a kangaroo court, to be honest with you. Well, it's, it's an anachronism and it's an, it, it creates an unnecessary level of emotion. I mean, there should be, look, basically put, the military needs to re-examine its processes and procedures. And then on a broader note, and this is what the point I wanted to make in the article, like the worst end of the spectrum about assaults and, um, and rapes and things like that, there probably is a, a reasonably decent process now to some extent because that's the serious end. But what I wanted to get across and get across more to an audience of, of men of around my own age, maybe, and, and maybe a bit younger, that the cultural process has to be examined. Like, uh, uh, Quartermaster Sergeant Karina Malloy makes a point about being on duty. I think it was in Lebanon. So an active service situation. And I read, her, I I read her story, yeah. yeah. Go. And I mean, this is the ten-ended wedge that some people might dismiss. And she was, on her birthday, she was given a present of salacious underwear by her platoon sergeant with, I think, something like, wish I was here or something written on the front of him. Now, People, yeah, yeah and, I think it was yeah. a little bit more graphic than that, technically. But yeah, but I think, no. so she was given this this kind of underwear. Yeah, would wish I was in there or whatever it was. Yes, exactly, the underwear, exactly. Which and yes. The point being, now the point being, like there was a time. You know, some people might laugh and say, "Oh, well, grow up and you know, get a thicker skin and things like that." But what what that, what was happening there was that was under that was to use a, a sociological phrase that was othering her. How could she? It was hard enough for a woman to kind of get you know uh, settle into a. A very it's, undermi- it's undermining her apart from anything else. Exactly. And trivialising her. 
and here's the other thing. I, I, I've met, I don't know her that well, but I served with her briefly in the key barracks when she was attached to a unit that uh, support, logistically supported defence headquarters. Now, this is a woman that was a founder member of women in the defence. She was one of the first uh, platoons of women that went in. Donny Goldman, a tall, athletic woman. If ever there was uh, a woman designed for military life, I would have said it was Karina Malloy. She was one of the first female physical training instructors in the early stages of her career. And, you know, she would be a pretty tough-minded woman. And I can only imagine uh, you know, it, it just it, it it put it created an interruption between the camaraderie that should have existed between her and her her fellow soldiers. And the other, the, the sergeant himself, the, what there was an immaturity there. He should have known better. Now, he, I'm not saying he was an arch criminal or that he set out to undermine her, but the, the cultural issues. Now, I do think. No, I, and I know, what, I know what you're trying to say. I know what you're trying to say. That it's not the crime of the century, but it erodes somebody's uh, personal. It it's the start. Yeah, absolutely, the start and, 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 and of, erodes of a process. Yes. I mean, and, and, and do you, by the way, Declan, do you think that a lot of this male culture that was in within the defence forces and still exists within the defence forces, do you think that's the reason why no matter how much money they spend, for example, and we spent quite a substantial amount of money advertising going back about four or five years ago to encourage women to join the army, that they still have been really unsuccessful. Do you think it's because women see it as, you know, this kind of male-dominated arena where it's, you know, it's all rough and tumble and it's men and I just can't go in there because I won't be welcome? No, I don't actually. I think, and I, I, this is another thing that annoys me. I think that the military authorities and the uh, governmental structure, the, the, the department, have been obsessed with trying to push the numbers of women in the Irish Defence Forces up to 12% because all our European partners are similar. Instead of looking at the granular reality, you know, and, uh, another thing that would have annoyed uh, my generation of, of soldier of all rank was the optics. There was a constant obsession with pushing women to the front for photo opportunities. And you know what? It didn't do any, uh, it didn't do any help. It was, was kind of it was kind of tokenism, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. It was tokenism. Aren't we great? And here's the few women going off overseas. And all that was doing was, again, contributing to a blockage between them being fully accepted. They should have been always within their unit, within their subunit, uh, or whatever else, that they were part of, an, an integral part of that. And instead, uh, what was being ignored was, what is the reality for a woman in uh, in military life in Ireland? And are, we, are the right systems in place for them to feel you know, reasonably comfortable and protected. I say reasonably in that there are times when you're in an army where you're never going to be, you're not going to be comfortable. But that the camaraderie and the bonding and the assimilation within the unit, that that is working. And I think that was neglected. It was neglected because of an obsession with... And, and by the way, correctness. I know you gave the, the example of Karina Malloy. There's many other examples. You talk in your article about Yvonne O'Rourke as well, Captain yes, Yvonne O'Rourke. Yes, yeah, I, I did my cadetship with her, yeah, Yvonne O'Rourke. And, and, and she, she felt targeted. had a very tough time. She felt, And this is the thing, this, it disturbs me all the more because I haven't seen her for a long time or our paths didn't cross but um, you know when you go through the kind of training that you go through in the military college you know there's a bond like there's a reunion coming up for, for that class and we all took very different paths and we all like to get together every so many years because we have that shared suffering in common and it really disturbs me to think that Yvonne O'Rourke uh, had to go through what she went through and indeed there are one or two others that names that, that names aren't gone public that I know of who went through uh, tough times because of being in this grey world where they made they suffered something and it wasn't appropriately dealt with by and, the and, and look and I, and I want to once again say because I see some text coming in here as well and there is some very serious stories we could talk about as well and there, there's also also these ones too which are things that kind of just erode people's well particularly with women their femininity right but yeah. but in saying that there are people who are saying oh you, you know having a thick skin and look there is no doubt when you're in a an environment like the Irish Army or the Defence Forces or you're away on tour or whatever it is on a tour of duty that you've got to have a bit of a thick skin and there is going to be a yeah. camaraderie as you said 
that there might be a little bit of banter back and forward between men and women and nobody dismisses or says that shouldn't happen or doesn't happen of course it happens and that's perfectly fine but in saying that when you see an individual as being targeted purely for the fact that they're a woman you know within a group of men in this situation it's it's not only embarrassing it's undermining uh, and it's detrimental to their career Absolutely. And this is the thing, it comes back to having somebody's back. That is the military ethos. And I want to make a point here as well, that's slightly kind of at odds nearly with what I've been saying earlier. The military way of life is, is to my mind, always going to be male-dominated. There is always going to be a very much, a, 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 maybe not, maybe male is the word, a warrior-type ethos. Now, in the U.S. military, they've kind of come to terms with this because this is what gets you through the rough. I mean, you, you, you're talking about creating forces that, uh, okay, if they're not going to be fighting all-out wars, they're going to be going through, the, the to- at times, they're going to face in their career very tough, life-threatening situations. So camaraderie, bonding, tribal kind of uh, relationships are important. Well, but by the way, argue, Declan, you, do, do, you do, do you know the figures? Sorry, sorry for interrupting you, Declan, but do sorry, you know the figures in the U.S. Army? What, what percentage of the U.S. Army are female? Do you know? Uh, off the top of my head, I'm not, uh, I'm not sure. I think it's roughly, uh, let me think, um, would it be a fifth now, I think, something like that. Okay. But there's a very interesting book written by, uh, she was a feminist academic called Stephanie Guzman, uh, called The Kinder, Gentler Military. And what she, she set out initially to condemn the U.S. military for not speeding up assimilation. But her book turned out to be a condemnation of the obsession with optics and female members of the forces that were being routinely abused in basic training by male instructors because of a, a, a kind of a, a desire to push this to nobody, including female congresswomen, wanted to acknowledge that for a period, the U.S. armed forces were not a safe place for female ranks, females of all ranks. Now, that has changed. And the U.S. military is still very much a potent war-fighting force, and military have, and w- sorry, women have their role within that. And the, I think the important point to take out of it is, though, there will all, only ever be a certain percentage of women, just like there's only ever a certain percentage of men interested in that kind of well, a lifestyle. Well, generally, and that kind of it's a, a particular type. When I say a particular type of person, it's a particular person who wants to win that. I mean, look, you've got to be fairly physically fit. Uh, to yeah. be in the army, yeah. I mean, it's not. It's not certainly not for me. Um, you got to be fairly physically fit. Yeah. I mean, they they used to have height restrictions. They don't have height restrictions anymore, do they? No. Uh, well, I think they do. It's it's height to body ratio. So right, that okay. your height must meet your your ratio. But it, there are very certainly within the military, there are very stringent physical uh, requirements. Now, it's not that you have to be the strongest or the or, uh, or the most endurance, but you have to have a certain platform. And then within the military. Not everybody has uh, the same standard of fitness isn't required. of every, There's a baseline that everybody has to attain every I'm, I'm year. I'm assuming there's a different standard of fitness for men and women as well, but similar to the Garda Sheikhana or indeed the fire department when you enter, that, you know, they, they have a different requirement or different tests they do. Well, for... that's, yeah, there are, yeah, different, it's not so much a different standard of fitness, but the, uh, we, we say ways of testing it that are appropriate. Like when I was in, for example, and I think it's still the case, uh, females didn't do the full press-up. They did press-ups on their knees. And that was to take into account the difference in upper body strength mm. uh, and, and various things. And a female Marine officer in the U.S. one time wrote a paper for uh, Military Review talking about, the, again, the obsession with optics uh, at the expense of reality. She was a very fit, uh, hardy woman who had played ice hockey at a very high level uh, in her university years. And she's talked about the difficulties in active service overseas there was an awful lot of lower limb injuries amongst female personnel on overseas service and indeed during training that oftentimes kind of got covered up 
And yeah. what was that? Was the load bearing wasn't quite? Uh, you know, males and females are built differently and have different capacities. That's not to say we're unequal. No, no, no. Like well, we all have our strengths in different ways, of course. Exactly. Well, 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 just just to clarify it. as well, um, I, I asked you that question. I kind of put you on the spot, Declan. I do apologise. Women now comprise 14.4% of the 200,000 active duty uh, in the force of the US forces. So 14.4%. Right. It's a pretty high percent, by, by the way. It is. But then look at the size of US society and look at the size of the US military. Like, again, I come back to the point that the, the Irish Defence Force, uh, I, I think I, I would endorse... As, as a good career path for any woman. I think they're a great opportunity if it's the, if it's the right kind of woman. Just like I would say, look, let me rephrase that. The Irish Defence Forces as offers, offers great career opportunities for the right kind of person. Mm-hmm. And uh, we shouldn't be kind of obsessed about percentages. But what we should, and now this comes back to the, 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 where the rubber meets the road here now. The cultural, uh, and my colleague Tom Clonan made this point himself rather eloquently a few days ago. We need to re-examine the, 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 the culture. Uh, and when I say the culture, I'm not trying but how to... How do you, uh, Jekyll, how do you change the culture of something which is predominantly male? And as always, we, and by your own admission, always going to be predominantly male. And and, and it's yeah. been around, that culture in that particular occupation, so to speak, has been around for so long. How do you change that? I'll tell you how. It's not about the fact that it's predominantly male as such. There are other, like the fire service, the guard, they're still predominantly male or whatever, and they haven't had in recent times the same kinds of problems. It's about the leadership. It's about how we train leaders at both the officer level and the non-commissioned officer level. And what we need to look at is a different culture uh, within how we uh, look at rank. The uh, kind of too much deferential approach, there should be a uh, to rank can be detrimental to creating a culture where abuse, whether not just of females but of anybody, can take place. And that is something that has, is now rearing its head. The abuse of women is pointing a, a, out an issue that abuse of anybody can take place under certain circumstances. But t- particularly second, women or yeah. ethnicities or whatever it happens to be, of course. Precisely. Yeah. And the, yeah. the second thing I would say is uh, negative reinforcement. At times there's a place for that, but too much of that. And I know I, I have felt the bitter breath of negative reinforcement on my own neck during my military service, as have many... Do they, do they still do that in the army? Does the sergeant still walk along the line? Because I was in the FCA, by the way, when I was 17 years of age in Griffith Barracks, not quite the same thing. But does the sergeant still walk around the line looking straight into your face and call you names? Does that still yes. happen? Yes, but now let me let me let me tell you something. That's yeah, that's that happens. Uh, they, they can't swear. Uh, they're not supposed to to, to swear. Uh, but I mean, there's, you know, if you've ever seen British Army uh, instructors and Santors where they train officers, they, they, there's many ways to make a person uh, <laughs> to test a person's metal without having to use swear words when you're uh, mm. when you're shouting or raising your voice. But that's that's actually that's kind of. Uh, a necessity, I would say. It kind of it sensitizes you. That's not the, the issue. It's where it becomes insidious. It's where you have maybe uh, senior ranks who and sometimes take a dislike to somebody because they just don't like the cut of their jib or their attitude, and they go out of their way to undermine them. And so no matter what you do is never right. And those reports get written up and you're paraded and you're constantly be told that you're not measuring up. And you know in your in your gut instinct that you... you you know, you have your and, and you're right, that does happen in the Defence Forces and it does happen. It in, does. But, it, and, but and that wouldn't happen in the private sector, for example, because no. in the private sector, if that happens, you would take a case against somebody for bullying. Well, you have, you have legislation now within the Defence Forces uh, that uh, it, it can be brought into play to prevent bullying. But I would still, like, remember what I said there at the start, it's the simpler stuff. I think if we train our officers and our sergeants to, uh, to be less 
you know, to have less of the negative reinforcement. Now, I think that's, that's happening per se. There's a new breed of junior officer and NCO that I've encountered uh, in various uh, dealings mm-hmm. I've had with the Defence Forces. But I think we need to institutionalise uh, from the top down. We need well, to in the, me- in the media, we have a thing like that. We have these consultants that come into radio stations every now and again, and they have this theory uh, that it's called the sandwich effect, which is, you know, two good things, one bad thing. So in other words, you know, be positive and be positive, but, you know, be critical in the middle somewhere there too. And, Absolutely. And, and, and that's the way things should be done. Positive reinforcement is very important. But getting back to the original point, and just to finish up on it, we do sure. need to change the culture. We do need to make sure that we don't have, revisit this story again in 10 or 15 or 20 years' time when more women are encouraged to join the Defence Forces or those kind of arenas where women are not isolated or feel isolated or feel embarrassed or feel undermined just because they happen to be women. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think the, the minister actually in this case has taken the right step. Rather than obsessing about outside consultants, there should be outside specialists from other militaries who have gone through this, but also include some of the women as they are themselves and listen to their stories. And, uh, you know, change comes from within as well as from without. And the best lasting change is where you have a collaborative process and you don't try and uh, destroy the good aspects of the culture that exist and there are very good aspects okay. to DF culture. Listen, thank you very much indeed and I appreciate you coming on the air. There you go. Declan Power, who's a, uh, a security and defence analyst, of course, and he wrote a great piece in the Irish Independent if you want to look at it today there. Women of Honour, it's called. Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hits.